Good day and welcome to another installment. Dwight and Sirk talking black and gold. Steve Sirk, we have allowed a little time to pass because frankly, there's either everything or nothing to do depending on an individual world. You are working 100 hours a day. Uh, I am not able to have spring practice with my team at Wittenberg and there are no professional sporting events, MLS included. So um, what the heck are you doing? I'm, yeah, just basically working like 16 hour days right now. Um, not quite a hundred. Not quite a hundred. Um, told you, told you a million times not to exaggerate. <laughs> well, yeah, you, sh you should heed your own advice. Yes, I, I should. should <laughs> yeah, so it, it's been, uh, you know, just the, the nature of my work. Um, and I'm grateful for it because I know a, a lot of people aren't as, as fortunate right now with uh, you know some of the turns the economy has had to make as a result of all the quarantining and social distancing and business closure so um, but yeah so it hasn't left a lot of a lot of time for for anything else so I'm very happy to be able to carve out some time here and chat with you and kind of get caught up well it's a little bit of a sanity check for the two of us uh, this is this is a difficult time and you and i are are are, are talking about columbus crew historically and uh, there's nothing in our lives that really directly equates to what we're experiencing now but it is a difficult time and from the outset our focus for this particular uh, program has been to uh, stay connected with Columbus Crew SC, but also to bring um, a historical perspective that, you know, the long timers uh, probably have forgotten some of it. And of course, so many of the fans today aren't aware of this, this point in history. And we're talking specifically right now about 1996, but we'll continue to build forward with that. And um, as, as the program grows, because we're a couple of novices that are feeling our way through, but a chance just to, to spend a little time uh, you know, just kind of talking about something that we enjoy and something that has been an important part of our lives during a, a stretch where things things really are challenging. And I, and I do want to echo your point, echo your point, because there are an awful lot of folks going through some some very difficult, certainly uncertain times. And I think the uncertainty is for many of us perhaps um, the most challenging piece. Well, and it's hard because it's two different things. I mean, you've got you know, the economic uncertainty, you know, where, you know, people are getting furloughed or getting laid off because of these health measures we need to take. Um, and then there's also the kind of life and death health aspect too. So, I mean, it's, it's not just one thing. I mean, it's two, probably two of the biggest worries, you know, you can have is like employment and health and a lot, you know, and everyone's kind of juggling these two major anxieties at once um so yeah i mean it's it's you know it's a hard time for for everyone it is a difficult time and uh, as we're recording this uh, on the weekend uh the president has announced that he is extending his uh, distancing measures and so forth through at least the month of april so I think that certainly is a sign that uh, we, we have a long way to go. And you know what, if, if what we're doing and other folks are doing out there, if, if there are, uh, you know, fans, supporters, um, folks that, that just enjoy this and, and it gives them a, you know, a little respite, then, you know, we're glad to do it. And, you know, 
there's so much to talk about. It, it's it's not trying to find things to talk about. It's actually the opposite. I mean, how do you how do you fit in the history of an organization um, and and the various you know undulations that occur. You know, back to '96, the the club opened with consecutive home games, went one and one, outscoring their opponents six to uh, five to two, uh, beating DC, losing to Tampa. Then went to New York, big win there. We had recap that one, two nil, um, and then played three game or played two games in three days, and would go on a stretch uh, where they would win once more on May 11th and not win a regulation game again until July 25th. So um, it was a very, very odd time, but odd is, is May the 2nd before 8,848 at a cavernous and largely empty Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City where they put on an offensive show unlike anything we've seen otherwise uh, in the history of this club. I mean, that has got to be probably the most ridiculous game, if not, or at least one of the most ridiculous games in crew history. And I remember listening to you on the radio, because if I recall, this was not a game that was broadcast on TV, uh, you know, because back in the early days, not all the games were, were on television like they are now. And uh, I was living down on campus, and I was down in Columbus doing, a, or up in Columbus from Athens, doing a... Uh, internship and uh, remember I raced home from work because this wait was this the midweek game? Yes, it was. Uh, it was actually a Thursday. Or Thursday, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, my memory of it is that I you know raced home from work and I remember telling the roommates with for the people I was uh, you know kind of crashing with uh, down on campus. I'm just like, all right, I'm gonna be in my room listening to the screw game. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I listened to you on the radio. And I could not believe the stuff that was coming out of the speakers. I mean, that game was bonkers. It, it was bonkers in, in many different ways. Um, you're correct about the lack of television on that occasion. So Columbus, Bo Oshani, Ingle, Clark, Watson, Mahalik, Yeagley, all familiar names uh, along the back line, Billy Thompson, Brian Bliss, Shane Battelle, Dr. Kamalo, and then Adrian Paz alongside Brian McBride. Um, Kansas City, the whiz, as it were. Uh, Pat Harrington, Tommy Reisner, Sean Bowers, Uche Okafor, Scott Uteritz, Paul Wright, Mike Sorber, Mark Chung, Preki, Mo Johnston, and he had just come over to that team. And Takarira up Digital top. Takarira. Digital Takarira, yeah. So those were the groups uh, that started the game on a night when um, there would be 30 shots combined, 22 of those on target. There were 20 fouls, so really it wasn't in in current day parlance. It was not an overly physical game. Um, Columbus only offside once and uh, four offside calls against the home teams uh no ejections no yellows or reds for uh kansas city at all bliss and billy thompson would pick up yellows for columbus how about some of those names dude i love hearing digital takawira who uh, you may recall was famous for his goal celebration the digital crawl 
Yes. So after, after he would score a goal, he would run down to the end line and then just start crawling on all fours, and then his teammates would line up behind him, and they would all crawl like, I don't know, ants heading to a picnic or something. Yes. Um, that, that was his, his goal celebration, the digital crawl. Hadn't been about that in a long time. That, the man in the middle, S.E. Baharmist. We would, oh, we would see it. Yes, we would see a lot of him. And uh, the fourth on that day was Alan Shepard, not the astronaut, as far as we know. I was, say, I was like, oh, I didn't know he got into refereeing. Uh, early May, though it was, 82 degrees, the kickoff temperature, um, and then a massive crowd of 8,848 uh, in attendance for that. And we're going to put together the goal clips, but rather than going through – 10 goals one by one um you know just hit the highlights chung gets the home team on the board in minute five mcbride equalizes and it's one to one at halftime so then in minutes 47 you have like you have no you have like no inkling no like no it's just like a normal game okay one to one you know we're no, we're tied at the half. Not bad. And then in a 60-second spell of the second half, and it's 47 and 48. Mo Johnston gets his first for the Wiz, and Todd Yagley gets his first for Columbus, and uh, it's 2-2. And then all heck broke loose in minutes 64. Mike Clark uh, not only scored a goal but assaulted the goal post, which we'll circle back to. Uh, and that was followed a minute later by an own goal. And suddenly Columbus on the road in the 65th minute is up 4-2 to two and cruising to uh, another road win, having picked up a big victory at New York. So now this is a club looking to go back-to-back victories away from home, but it didn't work out that way. Let me say, I was pumped, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I couldn't believe you. Know, you're, you're shouting about all these goals, and I'm like, this is – freaking awesome uh, again I'm, I'm just in the bedroom in a crappy campus apartment listening on the radio the only the only thing i have uh, going on is, is listening to you and you're kind of screaming through my radio about all these columbus goals i'm like okay life is good we're gonna get we're gonna get this win and this sounds like an exciting game and then um yeah keep talking well, it wasn't. And as dramatic and exciting as the, the stretch run of that campaign turned out to be, um, you can't help but wonder, had they gone on to win that game, what it might have meant. Because um, between that match on May the 2nd, and as I alluded to, uh, a loss to San Jose on July 20th, they would only win one regulation game uh, after that. So uh, up 4-2, to two, didn't last long. Two minutes after the own goal, Precky from the spot, four to three. Mo Johnston gets his second goal in his first game, uh, 70th minute. So it goes in minute 65, four two to Columbus. Five minutes later, it's four four. Minute 77, Mike Sorber, that offensive juggernaut, <laughs> makes it five to four, and then Precky would net his second of the game um, in the 88th minute and six four was the final with uh, that Arrowhead Stadium victory for the Wiz of Kansas City. Ten goals. Ten goals, no digital crawls. None. 
No. Nope. Yeah, two assists, two assists, but no, yep. no, no goals. Yeah, I did have a couple of helpers, um, but Precky on that night, you know, Precky added uh, two assists to his two goal performance. We mentioned Mo Johnson getting two, but the Mike Clark situation, and and this is something that you know speaks volumes about America's hardest working team, which I think is a mantra that was truly embraced. Uh, by this organization in the early days, but um, en route to getting his goal, um, his first, Billy Thompson, by the way, would get the assist on that one in the 64th minute to give Columbus their first lead of the night, Um, got the touch to the ball to put it in the back of the net, but could not stop himself from then running into the, the post. And it was, uh, it was, it was a physical competition between metal and man. (laughs) That's very Clarky. I mean, he, he. There were very few things he didn't want to run into. So maybe he didn't even try to dodge the post. Maybe he uh, thought of it as kind of like a sterner adversary for him to pummel to see who would get. You know, see if he could even do better than crunching opposing forwards. You know, could he crunch a goalpost? Well, he certainly could uh, crunch forwards. Yeah, I, I think the goalpost got the better of him. Particular connotation, if I, if I remember from the uh, the radio call, I'll, yes, you know, we'll we'll have to have Clarky on sometime to to reminisce about about his his uh, his bloody <laughs> good goal. <laughs> um, so I, I think he I think he got uh, semi injured uh, in in his collision there, um, and maybe that's why we gave up four goals after. I don't know. We'll have to ask him. Well, you know, he would never take that tact, I'm sure, but you may not be you may not be wrong. Um, so, yeah, we'll uh, take a brief respite here and uh, we'll let you hear how that game unfolded uh, from the live radio call. We played just over four minutes in the opening half. No score. Kansas City has the ball. Precky wheeling, dealing, gives it on. Oh, big shot to goal. Oh, what a great hit. Mark Chung got wide to the left side and one-timed it upper 90 at the far post. It takes four and a half minutes and the home team is on the board. Goal, Kansas City. Thompson on the ball to the left of the Wiz net. Pause inside the six. Jersey's clashing now. Header McBride scores! Brian McBride with a flick header. Looked like it was going to be deflected away, but couldn't be redirected. It's into the back of the net, and the crew are level at one. Chung, digital working to Precky. Left side, oh, he fakes his shot. Bender off the crossbar. Rebound, it's in! In the opening two minutes of the second half, Kansas City is on top. 2-1, you score. It's a throw in for Columbus. Flick header right in front, shot, goal! 26-10 to go in regulation. Columbus is on top, 3-2. Back comes Columbus, hey, it's an own goal! Wow, just like that, it's 4-2. We are ready to go. From 12 yards out, shot, goal. Here comes Kansas City, crossing pass, center of the box, headed away, knock back inside, volley, goal. Ball's brought down by Gutierrez. Uderitz overlapping, you know he'd like to atone for the own goal. Rolls it back, 
And then to Sorber. He'll let it go from way out, and it scores! Oh, what a shot! Digital Takarira brings it back. Shot and a goal! So the largest combined total goal scored, Steve, in club history. So many goals that it stands now early in season 25, 6-4. The Wiz uh, beat the crew. Columbus was just coming off an impressive 2-0 win in New York. Had a lead with less than a half hour to play. Uh, Really appeared, I thought anyway, to be in a situation where um, they could take another big-time step forward. But it didn't play out that way and it did seem to take a toll on the team they had to turn around and play three days later an afternoon match in a steamy cotton bowl huge crowd 35,250 and uh, all their road trip goals were scored in Kansas City so Columbus had none to score uh, in that one in fact neither team could really muster much offensively and the burn would go on to yes the Dallas burn uh, with the the flame-breathing horse, would go on to win that game uh, via shootout. Um, but you can't help but wonder, at least I can't help but wonder, they've been able to hold on to that Kansas City win. Maybe that uh, sends this team uh, forward rather than clearly looking back what it did and, and it really seemed to, to hand or foot cuff them for some time. I, But I think that's my, my favorite little postscript of this uh crazy six to four game is that you know three days later they play a scoreless draw like how do you go from six to four yeah. to zero to zero in three days yeah like that that's craziness that's early mls though i mean it really is that is early mls no question about it so so what are your what are your memories of that game that kansas city game um you know being up in the booth because you know that was you know you would you would travel back in those days for the, for yep. the radio calls and uh well, of course. It, what, was that, what was it like for you, just watching all this unfold? It was the it was the first trip to Arrowhead Stadium, obviously, in our season. Now, I had been to Kansas City multiple times prior to that. The uh, well, three years leading up to the start of MLS, and then uh, in the first season of Major League Soccer, I was also calling games for first the Dayton Dynamo, and then the Cincinnati Silverbacks, which remains one of my favorite all time team names and logos and it fit very well into the queen city um so i had been to to kansas city on the indoor side of things and for those who aren't aware prior to the start of mls in 96 the npsl national professional soccer league which was another iteration of what had started as the misl many years prior um was was the only way you were going to see uh, you know professional soccer which was really more like hockey without skates but my point is um i was familiar with kansas city which was which was beneficial because i had not been all of the city i had not been to all the cities in the league prior to 1996 so kind of getting your your bearings and and whatnot uh so there was a comfort level there but it was my first time in arrowhead and I had estimated early in the broadcast that there was going to be close to 10,000 and uh, there was just under 9,000 at the game. But, you know, this is a massive um, 70,000 seat stadium. The broadcast facilities are built in at the, uh, you know, the the median level. Uh, So everybody is sitting below you, but there's a lot of empty seats. So the ambiance is a little bit odd. 
the heat. It was the first time that we had actually seen a game where there was some measure of, of weather. Of course, it was even worse in Dallas. But looking at a stadium, uh, Arrowhead, which today remains the home of the Chiefs, and although it's been around a long time, even in 96, you could see that this was a stadium that was built for the long term, and, and they're one of the few franchises in all of professional sport that hasn't 20 years later decided they have to have a new, bigger, brighter, better stadium. Uh, so very impressed with the facilities. Uh, the location was immediately adjacent to the Kansas City Royals Park so, uh, Stadium, so there was plenty of parking for both right off the interstate. Access was good. Locker room facilities. Everything was very professional. But having played in front of some bigger crowds in the first few games, it was the first time that I really had a, had seen a small turnout for a match and how the ambiance or lack thereof kind of impacted the game. Yeah, I'm sure that probably had to be jarring, you know, because when the league, you know, those first few weeks of the league, even though, you know, so the crew are playing in the horseshoe, they're getting 20-something thousand, you know, the Metro Stars are playing in Giant Stadium getting 50 or 60 or whatever they were getting um, and, and so on. Yeah, I mean, that was probably the first, like, kind of, oh, crap moment in terms of coming to a soccer game and be like, oh, this is what all the naysayers said it was going to be like. Yeah. Well, and in fairness to Kansas City, although it would it would be a franchise that would struggle with attendance, and then ultimately when they did build their soccer-specific stadium, they, they did away with any attendance problems whatsoever. Um, but it was a Thursday night, and it was the first week of May, so kids are still in school. And um, while uh, there are folks that would take that sort of comment as excuse-making, which perhaps to some degree it is, that doesn't mean it isn't true. And then you turned around that Sunday afternoon and had 35000 and and that's a little bit of a, a twist and you know, further answer your prior question. So it's a Thursday night in Kansas City uh, uh, with a stadium of their own today that is regularly sold out. Um, but Dallas, in the early days at the Cotton Bowl as the burn, uh, they were drawing huge crowds. And now in their own soccer-specific stadium in Frisco, they have not seen that same consistency. So it's it's interesting how, how that kind of changed, where Kansas City moved basically from the east side of the city proper to the west side of the city. Um, and bang, it, it has completely changed the crowds. And at Dallas Burn, now FC Dallas, moved from the city to the suburbs, a place there really wasn't much in Frisco when the stadium was built, but of course it's exploded around it now. So financially with their facilities, uh, there's a lot of very, very positive things that have happened. But interesting to follow the course of, of attendance and, and how things uh, over the years have changed and evolved. Yeah, and a, a couple other things now that you know, we're kind of talking about this. Um, I'll, I'll circle back to your, your indoor soccer comment. Um, you know, where, where you were calling indoor soccer. It, it was a lot of those early MLS teams, like 1996. I mean, I remember, like, following the, the draft, and I was following – I mean, these these were the players I knew were the guys who played indoor soccer. So, you yep. talking about, like, Precky, who was, like, a superstar for the Tacoma Stars, and and you mentioned Paul Wright, who, yep. who played for the San Diego Soccers and then uh, eventually the Cleveland Crunch at one point. Um, uh, Sean Bowers, who had the own goal in that – six to four game. I mean, he, he was a kind of indoor all-star, you know, defender, um, you know, so, and so I think, especially in, in Kansas city, I mean, you know, Jason Farrell was there and he'd played for K 
Kansas City indoors. You know, I think Kansas City was one of those teams that actually did have quite a few. I mean, I mean, the crew had some. You know, they had Brian Bliss and and Marcelo Carrera, and and I think Billy Thompson played indoor a little bit. But um, but I think Kansas City was one of those teams that actually had quite a few. Yeah, indoor players like that. You know, that first year or two, um, kind of building on their own local kind of legacy of, of the Kansas City Comets and later the, the Kansas City attack. Um, so No, you're 100% right. In fact, the, um, if you think back to the inaugural MLS Cup in 96 in that, that downpour where when our good friend Bill McDermott was the sideline reporter um, and it looked like D.C. United was going down, well, the first of the two goals, because, of course, Eddie Pope would get the dramatic winner, but the first goal was scored by Sean Medved. And Sean, Cleveland, and had played with the Cincinnati Silverbacks, and that's where I first met him. Uh, now, to your Cleveland Crunch, uh, John Carroll University, uh, you know, the small college soccer in the Midwest is as good as it gets anywhere. Of course, Dr. Jay Martin, who was my very first broadcast partner, uh, is, uh, has the highest winning percentage in NCAA history as a head soccer coach, regardless of gender or division. He's got over 700 career wins, a couple of national championships. Um, but Hector Marinera, who was one of the elite goal scorers in uh, indoor history, is and has been for a number of years now the head coach at John Carroll University and has built that into a really consistently strong, nationally competitive program. And I actually bumped into him. Uh, at the Disney Showcase back in December, and we had a chance to uh, catch up because we've gone head-to-head as coaches, but I had also called a number of his games against Dayton and, and Cincinnati, and so we always have a chance to, to reminisce about some of that stuff as well. So, um, he, he was an original Rochester Rhino. Yes. Well. So, yeah. uh, he, he, wasn't, he was not playing by the time they won the Open Cup, but that first year, I think in 96 they went to the final um, and lost to D.C. in the Open Cup. And he, Hector was uh, playing outdoors with the, a lot of the crunch players for one of those, yeah. those very first Rhinos teams. And, and then circling back to indoor with Kansas City, I mean, I, how can we overlook that Ron Newman was their coach? And Ron yeah. Newman won like a bajillion MISL championships with the San Diego Soccerers. Um, and and, and he, it, it literally was bajillion. It, it really was. I mean, I, they seriously won like every year, but like a few, I think they won like 11 in 13 years or whatever yeah. it was. Oh, they were a machine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do, just to tease it a little bit, I do have, not many, but I do have uh, a limited number of broadcasts from the old uh, NPSL days. Mm-hmm. And when I have time, I'll go back through those and see if I could find maybe a crunch game or, you know, one of these games. Uh, I remember in the latter stages of, uh, of that, uh, Tony Miola played with the Buffalo Blizzard. Ooh, I have a story about that, but go on. Well, and I have one, too, and, and I'll give mine, and you can come right back with yours. I called the game when the Dayton Dynamo went to Buffalo and lost um, by about 20, but it was a shutout, the rarest of the rare, Tony Miola was in goal for an indoor shutout and when i was on um counter-attack with with tony and and dunny uh, a while back i actually brought that up and tony was laughing quite a bit said i hadn't thought about it in ages but i want to say off the top of my head you know 24 to nothing 22 to nothing um to clarify the mpsl used 
multiple they made they made it like basketball scoring yes um, so when you, when you hear like 24 to nothing or something it common goals were two points yeah three point line yeah there was a penalty or power play was worth one point and you had a shootout attempt that was also worth a point so basically you divide any score by like two to get a rough estimate so it was really like 12 to, i mean it was a butt kicking but um but the shutout was the the big part yeah, of it yeah. you just don't see that in indoor soccer but on that day we did at the odd zero zero divided by two is still zero i'll take your word for it because i hate math <laughs> right. uh, yeah the odd. Um, yeah so my my tony miola story so and actually uh so during the 1995-96 campaign, I did an internship with the Canton Invaders mm-hmm. of the MPSL, and actually, so Rich Pichetti, who was the sure. head of the, uh, uh, you know, kind of media side and PR side or whatever for the for the Invaders, um, that's who I reported to on my internship. He actually says we we probably met because I remember the silverbacks came so he 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 thinks you and i actually met prior to crew days i have no memory wow you know it's entirely possible because i remember our opening game as the cincinnati silverbacks was at canton so yeah i would i would i would have been there like in the it was kind of like during my winter break from ou so like thanksgiving through like new year's i i think you guys came at some point during that stretch, Rich is pretty sure that we met, um, which we may have, but who knew that we would have known each other for the next point, you know, yeah, wow. that, we, that we would we meet again down the road. You know, I'm sure it was just like, oh, Dwight, yeah. this is Steve. Steve, this is Dwight. And we're like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go about our... But anyway, the point was, other than the fact that we may have met before knowing each other and, and not knowing that we were going to know each other, um, we did this thing. So this last season of the invaders this was their last season in canton and it was like a total train wreck and nobody went to games and then they moved to columbus and it became an even bigger train wreck but that's another story so one of the ideas that apparently came about was you know to maybe goose the attendance for a game and now, now keep in mind the canton civic center holds like what, what 3500 people yeah it's not a not a big building um but what we did is we had this thing with where we had Tony Miola, and we paid him some ungodly amount of money to come in and speak. Um, so either he hadn't signed with the Blizzard yet, or he was done with that, or what the deal was. Because what we did is we had like a dinner banquet sort of thing at the arena before the game, so you could buy tickets to be part of this, you know, at probably more expensive tickets to be part of this thing. And Tony Miola is going to give a speech and there's going to be dinner served and, and, uh, you know, a little event, whole shebang thing going on. Um, so my, my job that day, Rich just assigned me to basically follow Tony around, like, you know, escort him here and there. Yep. You know, stop people from bugging him, you know, that sort of thing, you know, just kind of like, you know, shepherd him around. So we, uh, but during the game, we went. We weren't in the press box side where like the radio booth is. We went on the opposite side that was usually empty. So it was just me and Tony uh, watching the game. And uh, God, who were we? I can't remember. I think we were playing Chicago that day. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. So we're up in the booth, just the two of us, like watching this game. And this was a, so this was ninety-five, ninety-six season. So this is like December of ninety-five. So MLS is going to start in the spring, but they still hadn't announced 
any of the allocated players yet, or maybe they'd only announced like one or two or something. And, and I know for sure Tony had not yet been announced. And uh, so I was just like, I was just like, oh, Tony, man, you got, you know, so where are you going to go? He's like, oh, I can't say. And I was like, like, you can't say like you don't know or you can't say you just won't tell me. <laughs> He's like, oh, no, I, yeah, I can't tell you. Like, I, I just can't, you know, like I say, I was like, well, I mean, it's going to be New York, right? He's like, well, no, I mean, it could it could be uh, it could be New York or D.C. You know, I can't really say. And I was just like, it's New York. dude, you can tell me. Like, just it's it's New York, isn't it? Like, I won't tell anyone, but I mean, it seems like you know, because he grew up. Um, didn't he didn't he grow up in Kearney, New Jersey? He did. Tab Ramos and everybody. Yeah. So I was yes. Like, I was like, yeah, it's got to be New York. And then finally, he was just like, it's like, okay, don't tell anyone, but yeah, it's New York. I was like, yeah. So I had was like my first little scoop, and then I didn't <laughs> tell anybody because I, I told Tony Miola I would not tell anybody, so I didn't. Um, you know, I had, had to keep my word there. But um, and of course, I you know, who knows? He could have just been telling me to shut me up because I was probably annoying him. But uh, but then he went to New York. I was like, yes, I knew that. He told me that. Uh, I, was all, I was all excited when the announcement happened. It is. It's amazing, isn't it? How how some of this stuff comes full circle. Whether it's you and I meeting at some point that neither one of us even remembers. So clearly, we had an impact on one another. Um, yeah. You had asked about being out in Kansas City and Arrowhead Stadium, so I talked through that. Going back to the odd in Buffalo, this was a very old arena, uh, and the broadcast for radio was on the catwalk that was literally attached to the roof of the facility so the tv booths were lower so this was radio now my last year there were the silverbacks we did do some television sports channel remember good old sports channel yeah. um and we did do and i know i have a copy of the video of that around somewhere but the radio broadcast and we would go up literally in this 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 catwalk and it was attached to the ceiling so you were as high as you could be and still be inside that building uh you know and looking down on the on the surface so uh, a little extra note there oh well okay now this is going to be completely so far off topic but i had you talking about that I actually, believe it or not, actually have a related story. So, and it has nothing to do with soccer, but what the hell else are we gonna talk about right now? So, my buddy and I, my buddy Jeff, we decided, I was home for uh, winter break from school, and we decided we were gonna go to a Buffalo Sabres game. You know, Cleveland doesn't have an NHL team, so we're like, you know, we'll just hit the road, go somewhere and see a game. So we, we go to Buffalo, to see a game at the odd it was it was the sabers against the la kings this is the gretzky era la kings so i think this was uh this was like december of 93 i believe okay and uh so we get out to buffalo there used to be a place right by the odd and you may remember this place garcia's irish pub of course uh, yeah so we have dinner at garcia's irish pub and we were only 19 at the time but somehow we were able to order beer like nobody carted us so so we're like oh sweet this is awesome you know so we're 19 year old kids we're drinking some beer so then we get but we ended up getting there like super early so we you know we by the time we were done with dinner like it was still way too early to even get inside the arena so we go to the arena and uh you know we're just kind of like milling about you know waiting around but then we you know we had some beers at dinner and now we really have to pee so my buddy Jeff's just like, oh, let's just see if they'll let us go in and use the bathroom. And I'm like, oh, there's no way they're going to do that, right? So we go and we, uh, we just like, hey, we just drove from Cleveland. Uh, 
you know, we just we just made it sound like we just got there. Like, you know, we just drove from Cleveland. We didn't realize there weren't going to be any bathrooms around here. You know, could we just go in? You know, we just had this long drive. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure, just go in, and it's around the corner. So the odd, you know, kind of like Maple Leaf Gardens back in the day, like those were kind of like square buildings, like yep. like rounded concourses, like you would see at Nationwide Arena now or any arena. You know, they were, they were literally like boxes, you know, just a big square or rectangular building or whatever, you know. So you, we literally had to go around a corner to get to the bathroom. So the security guard, like, let us in, didn't follow us or anything. He's just like, oh, yeah, it's around the corner. So we go in, you know, we're in the bathroom, and my buddy Jeff's just like, sucker i was like yeah i guess we're in you know so we just decided, we just took it upon ourselves that we are going to wander around the arena you know before it opens to anybody else like we've got the place to ourselves and we wandered all over the place and nobody stopped us i, mean, I can't imagine anything like that would happen now especially like in a post 9-11 see something say something world and and all the additional security that just sports leagues and teams have in general. But back then, I mean, we were just like, okay, we just walked around like we knew what we were doing and nobody stopped us. So we, we were actually down by the King's locker room. We're like, oh, maybe we'll meet Wayne Gretzky. And we did meet uh, the King's owner, Bruce McNall. Nice. Um, who, was, who was a very short man and who eventually, I believe, went to prison. But we met him. We were just like, oh, hey, Bruce. He's like, oh, hey, how you guys doing? We're like, oh, yeah, fine. Yeah. And we were like right outside their locker room and still nobody is like stopping us. But talking about the catwalks, one of the things we did is we we went up to the upper level and we were up near the top of the upper bowl and there was we, we found like the entrance to one of the catwalks. And I was like, should we do it? And, and my buddy is not particularly fond of heights. And it being, you know, from the description of your broadcast booth and what my recollections of what the those catwalks were like, um, it, 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 it did indeed seem terrifying. Um, and my, my buddy was just like, no, can't, no, not doing it. Yeah. So we didn't, <laughs> so we didn't do it. So we kind of hung out up there, though, you know, for a little while until, until we saw other people. You know, we just kind of sat up there and just looked down at the empty, you know, the stillness of an empty arena before the gates opened. And then once, once gates opened again, then we started wandering around again. But yeah, we just snuck in and had our free reign of the place for probably like 45 minutes or something before gates opened. So that, that's my, that's my memory. Of nice. Nice. Well, there are plenty to share and I'm sure we're going to get to them. Um, you mentioned uh, Maple Leaf Gardens did an indoor game there. Uh, and, and another time I'll, I'll share my shooting stars. I'll, uh, <laughs> share my um, experience uh, spending a 24-hour Thanksgiving Day spectacular in Edmonton. Um, but that, that takes some time. To your Wayne Gretzky point, I actually had lunch with him. And that's another story that we can get to another day. Um, but uh, hopefully the folks like this, because this is, this is what we've wanted this show to be about all along, is, yeah, Columbus Crew SC brings us together, but there are, as it is in life, all of these, you know, these, these fingers that stretch out in different directions and, and the way things overlap. And as you and I get more comfortable in this medium, uh, you know, we look forward to having others on the program to, to really not just talk about, but in a manner of speaking, relive uh, the history of this organization and uh you know reminiscing and you know one one little story leads to another little story and, and you just never know yeah we kind of went off the rails there didn't we yeah well <laughs> that's all right we uh we are on a railless train today um but uh i think we'll call that for 
a show. We went off the rails more than that 6-4 to four game in Kansas City. Yeah, well, you know, the highlights of that one kind of speak for themselves, you know. <laughs> but um, as always, Steve, we, we get together, we reminisce. It's been fun and uh, look forward to continuing to do this, particularly in the absence of any new games. We'll continue to explore the history of Columbus Crew SC and, oh. and all the folks that make it part of it. Yeah, and before we go, I want to give a shout out uh, to our friend Sam Fami. Um, if if you when you download this episode, you may notice that we have a logo now. Yes, we do. Uh, and, and our our friend Sam Fami uh, from Massive Report, uh, pod, he's like the producer of the Massive Report podcast. So that that shows you what a loving uh, community uh, crew people are. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, the producer of a different podcast made a nice logo for us. So it's got a microphone for Dwight, and it's got a notebook for me. Um, and Sam Fami made that for us. Um, so I just want to give Sam a, a shout out and a thank you. And, and of course, you know, listen to the Massive Report podcast too. Absolutely. Uh, many, many bajillion, million, trillion crew podcasts out there, of which we are just a small part. Um, so thank you to Sam. I just want to make sure we get that in there. No, I'm glad you did. That is excellent. And we should also mention that as we become uh, more experienced, we are working to get a wider distribution. So we appreciate the, the positive feedback and the, the re- can help us with that too. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, we'll get Sam on the show. Uh, we don't care. We'll get everybody on the show. That's that's just who we are. Uh, until we meet again, Steve. Yes, and and yeah, we'll keep doing our social distancing with me from Cleveland, me in Cleveland, and you in Columbus. So we're doing this safely. Yeah. If it, yeah so if if this doesn't work, well, then we got other problems. <laughs> right.